Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode nine of Now We're Talking. I'm Rob Danish from the University of Waterloo in Canada, and I'm a professor of communication studies. And in this podcast, we've been talking about communication practices and how to be a better partner, a better teammate, and eventually we'll talk about how to be a better writer and a better speaker and a better leader. In episode eight, so the last episode, we were talking about teamwork skills and teamwork as a function of small group communication. And one of the things I said about teamwork is that you needed to balance this kind of need for relational harmony in the team and the need for functional decision-making or or achieving functional goals. Uh, So what I want to talk about today are the kinds of relational communication practices that are important or good for teamwork and the kinds of relational communication practices that are bad for teamwork. Um, So we'll outline some positive relational communication practices and some negative ones all in an effort to show you how to be a better teammate if you're interested in being a better teammate, or at the very least, how to identify some examples of bad teammates in action and explanations for why they're bad. So um, lots of stuff today. Um, I'm going to try and keep it relatively simple and uh, let you know that there are four basic uh, positive relational communication practices that you should look out for. And we've already talked about sort of two of them. Um, And then there's five sort of bad relational communication practices that negatively affect teamwork. So go through the four good practices and then the five bad practices. The the first good practice I want to talk about is what's called self-monitoring. And uh, uh, self-monitoring is the sort of ability to know your own emotional state, but also the ability to... Uh, respond to the emotional states of others. And it turns out that people that are high self-monitoring tend to make good teammates and good leaders. And people that are low self-monitoring don't really make good teammates or good leaders. And I want to explain uh, what that difference amounts to. And you can just go on Google and you know uh, type in test for self-monitoring and figure out how low or how high you are on the scale. Um, I want to talk more about what it has to do with with teamwork. Um, anyway, here's, here's what a person that's low self-monitoring would do. Um, if I was feeling angry or upset and I'm low self-monitoring and I walk into a team situation or a group situation and everybody else in that group is really happy and feels really good and I still am upset... In other words, the emotional climate of the team or the emotional climate of the group has no impact on me, on my emotional climate. Then I'm what's called low self-monitoring. I'm not very responsive to the emotional states of others. Um, if I'm high self-monitoring, I am responsive to that state. So I'm feeling angry and frustrated. I go in and I see a bunch of teammates who are all happy and uh, feeling positive and feeling excited about the day. I change my emotional state from angry or frustrated to happy and excited in response to the others around me. 
earlier in another episode we were talking about mirroring, I'm able to sort of mirror the emotional states of others in the group or on the team. Usually, um, and here's a, like a little trick for, if you wanna know the, who the leader of a group is, the leader of the group is often the people whose emotional state will get, will be adapted to by others. So in other words, if I'm really frustrated and angry and I walk into a team and the whole team sort of starts feeling frustrated and angry also, they're being good teammates, but they're also um, sort of emotionally self-monitoring in response to the person who is the leader. Um, if I'm really frustrated or angry and no one cares, no one pays any attention, everyone keeps their mood happy and excited, then I'm low self-monitoring and not in a leadership position, essentially. So good teammates are high self-monitoring. They're able to adapt or change their emotional states in response to the emotional states of other teammates. They're able to know how they're feeling, sense how others are feeling, and change their emotional states in response to those situations. Second, uh, good teammates are also congruent. So we talked a little bit about this already in an earlier episode, but congruence is that kind of sense that you're having an experience, you have an awareness of that experience, and you're able to communicate that aware awareness. A congruent person uh, sort of feels something, is aware of what they're feeling, and communi can communicate what they're feeling to others. Incongruent people sometimes have an experience, they're not even sure what it is they're feeling, they can't name their feelings, they can't understand them. Uh, or they refuse to communicate them about them or they refuse to talk to others about them. So highly congruent people make for really good teammates. Um, again, sort of others seem to, seem to emotionally resonate with highly congruent people. They're emotionally drawn to highly congruent people. Uh, third important relational communication practice is active listening, which we talked about a whole bunch in an earlier episode, so I don't want to go over it too, too much here, but active listening is incredibly important for interpersonal communication, but it's just as important for small group communication or for teamwork. Someone that actively listens mirrors back what's being said, asks questions to, so that they, until they understand something better. Um, they don't just... Um, well, that process of active listening helps others in the group or the team feel confirmed. They helps others feel drawn into the process and creates a stronger emotional bond or a bond of intimacy between team or group members. And the fourth important relational communication practice, which I think we talked a little bit about, is active support. Um, my oldest son right now is playing Little League Baseball. And it's interesting how important it is for the coaches. The coaches continue to tell the players to cheer on who's ever up at bat or who's ever pitching. And some people complain that baseball is a boring game. It's not boring to me. I played it for a long time and I love it still. Um, but even a seven, eight, nine-year-olds, they can get a little bored by the game if it's going slow. Um, but they're, the coach is trying to get them to manifest their active support for each player. Say, oh, go, you can do it, you can get a hit. Um, and there's good evidence that that kind of active support actually improves team performance and individual performance on on the field. Um, and it's something we learn early in life in that kind of example. So active listening, active support, congruence, self-monitoring. People that are good teammates have those four relational communication skills or practices. They do those four things and they do them well. And so if you're in a team or a group situation right now and you're trying to look out for or find someone that you think uh, is a good team, look out for those four characteristics. Can they self-monitor? Are they congruent? Are they actively listening? Are they actively supporting? Um, okay, so those are the positive 
relational communication practices you want to master for being a good teammate. There are also some negative ones. These are a little bit more fun and a little bit more funny, and you probably see them lots in teams you don't like participating in or people that you don't particularly like as teammates. Um, so first, bad or poor relational communication practice. And I'm telling you these because you should avoid them. If you're out there listening and you think, oh, I do that, stop doing it. So don't do these things in team or group settings. Okay, uh, first poor relational communication practice is what's called unrelated self-disclosure. And we talked a little bit about related self-disclosure previously, but unrelated self-disclosure is a person on a team who sits there and tells you a whole bunch of intimate details about their life that have nothing to do with what the group is doing and seem totally inappropriate to the circumstances or the occasion. So if someone you know, walks into a group setting and is like, you know, I went on this date last night, the guy was so weird, it was a really odd thing and all this crazy stuff happened and they're going on and on and on with all this personal intimate information about their life and everyone is sitting there thinking, we need to get on to the task at hand, we have functional goals here, I don't care about your dating life, this is miserably boring. Um, those kinds of reactions are the result of unrelated self-disclosure. That person has not thought through the relationship between the intimate details of their life that they're sharing and the group's goals or the project of relational harmony um, that's at stake. I'm certain you've met someone that's a, an oversharer. Somebody that overshares in a group setting is can be very destructive to the relational harmony of the group. And ultimately, that, that can harm the, the ability of the group to function well. Is awesome. So avoid unrelated self-disclosure. Second is what I call communicative narcissism. And I think I may have talked about this in an earlier episode. But communicative narcissism is, for me, is, the state, is, is when a person only wants to tell you what it is they think or believe or feel about something. So a communicative narcissist is only concerned with the articulation of their own beliefs and their own interests and their own desires. Whenever I teach small group communication, I see communicative narcissism in spades. I see it everywhere because all the students, they're young kids, first of all, they don't really know any better, but uh, the students run around the classroom and they really wanna tell you what it is that they wanna do. And they wanna tell other, other uh, their other classmates or their other teammates what they wanna do. And they might get challenged or, or asked a question, and when they get asked a question, they push even harder. They say, no, this is really what I wanna do. You don't wanna do what I wanna do, et cetera. Uh, so the communicative narcissist only talks about him or herself, only talks about him, his or her beliefs or feelings or opinions on any sort of matter. Um, so if you're a teammate with someone who will only talk about their position, and only is committed to their position, that can be really emotionally harmful for the group and can create a sort of disharmony um, among teammates. And that's not helpful for small group communication either or for teamwork either. Third is the behavior that's called flight, flight behavior. Flight behavior is really bad for teamwork. Uh, flight behavior is when anyone intentionally avoids the either the socio-emotional or the functional tasks of the group's work. They withdraw from the group process or from the team process. Uh, I've sat at lots of meetings, and I sit at uh, meetings right now where people, um, I'm a professor, so I'm at a meeting with other professors, and routinely the other professors bring their grading to the meeting. So they sit there with their red marker and they grade papers while they're listening to someone try and give us a, a, apparently important information. That is flight behavior. 
It's the very definition of flight behavior. It's refusing to participate in the group process. It's refusing to try to meet the socio-emotional needs of other teammates or the functional goals of the team. It's a kind of complete withdrawal. Uh, if you notice people checking their phone or text messaging or uh, these sorts of things during important team meetings or important team settings, that's also flight behavior. They're avoiding things. Uh, if the group is or team is dividing up work and someone avoids taking any responsibility for any of the work, also flight behavior. Um, so you want to avoid flight behavior if you want to be a teammate or if you want to identify a bad teammate, you can identify someone who engages in flight behavior. Uh, there's also what's called social loafing, and social loafing is a little bit different than flight behavior, although somewhat related. Uh, my dad used my, my dad used to accuse kids all the time of loafing out in the field. If he, he was actually my baseball coach, so literally is on my mind right now. Anyway, if um, if somebody on the on the team was loafing, my dad meant that they weren't trying very hard to participate or to actively engage in the task of winning the baseball game. Um, social loafing is, uh, well, if you've ever seen driving past a construction site and you see like two or three guys working and then five or six guys standing around just outside the outskirts of the working, those people are social loafing. Social loafing is when we get by with doing very little, but we give the appearance of being socially connected to the group. Um, so it's a kind of a, a variety or strain of flight behavior. Um, social loafing almost is it's like a, a universal law of group of group work. If you get a group that's too big, eventually some members of that group will engage in social loafing. They'll kind of remain on the outskirts, appear to be kind of relatively tied to the functional and social emotional goals or needs or, or um, projects of the group. But really, they're kind of loafing. They're just giving the appearance of participating to some extent, but have actually abdicated their responsibility for meeting the socio-emotional needs or the functional goals of the group. So don't, don't engage in social loafing or look out for bad teammates who do engage in social loafing. Um, okay, so the next bad or harmful um, relational communication practice for teamwork is destructive criticism and destructive confrontation. I'm sure we've all heard the phrase constructive criticism, or we may have heard the phrase constructive confrontation, and there are those things. And at some episode, at some point, I'm going to talk about uh, conflict management and conflict in team settings, conflict in interpersonal settings, and how to turn a conflict from destructive to constructive. Uh, for the time being, though, I just want to point out that um, if you recall, in when, when we're talking about interpersonal communication, destructive criticism produces resentment interpersonally. It also produces resentment in team or group settings. And a de destructive criticism is any kind of critical evaluation of a teammate's comments without the goal of trying to, to um, meet the functional task of the team or advance the project of meeting the functional task of the team or without attempting to address or, or meet the socio-emotional needs of the teammate. So destructive criticism is done with no consideration for the emotional kind of state of the team or the teammate being criticized. And little consideration or little thought has gone into the ways in which that criticism might help advance the, the functional task of the group or develop a functional solution to a problem that the group is facing. 
So a destructive critic, um, let's say I you know present an idea in the group, I think we should really do X or Y, and the destructive critic just says, oh, Rob, that's a really stupid idea. That idea stinks. Okay, so that's a destructive criticism. You know, nothing is said about how my idea would not meet the functional goal of the group, how another constructive idea might do it a little better. Um, it's it's going to cause conflict because I'm going to immediately be defensive. I'm going to say, well, no, my idea isn't stupid. Uh, that's a really harmful and hurtful and mean thing to say. And now we have tension, etc. Uh, destructive criticism almost inevitably leads to destructive confrontation because the critic puts the other person on the defensive. And once they're on the defensive, you have tension and tension manifests itself as confrontation in team settings. Now we talk all the time and in a later episode, we'll, we'll discuss this, but there's all sorts of positive tension and positive criticism and positive confrontation that can happen in team work. But destruct, that destructive kind is really empty of, um, it, it does not manifest a caring for the emotional state of the other, and it doesn't manifest a, a care for the ultimate functional task of the group. So that's a kind of brief outline for some things to look out for. And here's one thing that you could do. You could just sort of jot these things down for positive relational communication practices, self-monitoring, congruence, active listening, active support, five negative ones, unrelated self-disclosure, communicative narcissism, fight behavior, social loafing, destructive criticism. And you can go into a team setting and ask yourself, how often am I manifesting the things on the on one side, those positive relational communication practices? Am I able to engage in those things? How often am I engaging or doing the practices on the other side of that chart, those negative things? You're a good teammate if you're doing the thing, the positive practices in a far excess to the number of times you do the things on the negative side, the, the poor relational communication practices. Uh, what you're inevitably looking for is to do those things on the one side, those pro, those positive relational communication practices far more often than you do the negative ones in a team setting. It's probably impossible to not be, for a moment at least, a communicative narcissist. It's probably impossible to not engage in a little bit of social loafing or a little bit of flight. Sometimes we say stuff about ourselves that is really unrelated. Sometimes we just criticize someone else. It's not that the poor relational communication practices can be avoided entirely 100% of the time universally, but it's, it's that you want to minimize their impact on the team and you want to maximize the number of times you're self-monitoring, you're congruent, you're actively listening and active, actively supporting. Now, I, I want to end by talking a little bit about why this is the case. Why maximize the one and minimize the other? Well, for starters, self-monitoring, congruence, active listening, and active support generate relational harmony. They make people feel good. And when people feel good, they are better able to perform functionally in the group setting. Unrelated self-disclosure, communicative narcissism, flight, social loafing, destructive criticism, they create tension. Uh, and it, it, the, some of them create sort of unspoken or latent tension. Um, so for example, unrelated, I've seen unrelated self-disclosure go on for quite a while and everyone in the room is getting tense and no one is saying anything about it. Finally, the group gets back on to the functional goal, but still there's that latent unspoken tension beneath the surface that arose from those poor relational communication practices. Tension sometimes can be helpful for sparking creative um, work in teams, but 
in that particular setting, that tension is going to be destructive of relational harmony, and it's going to prevent people from um, feeling socio-emotional, the, the, meeting the socio-emotional needs of the team members. So those positive, that, that's the difference between, that's the different effect of practicing the positive relational communication things and practicing the negative relational communication uh, habits or behaviors. It's that difference in effect that will ultimately um, impact the team's performance and any team's performance. So if you want to be a better teammate, do those positive relational communication practices and avoid those negative relational communication practices. All right, that's it for this episode. In the next episode, I want to talk about functional communication practices. So to be a good teammate, what sort of functional things you need to do and what sort of functional things you need to avoid. Um, before then, I hope everybody has a good week and I hope that you'll listen again next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye.